Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. In this episode, I'll tell you all about the aspen, a tree characterized by its white bark and golden fall foliage. The aspen has probably had the most minimal impact on human culture of the trees I've covered so far, so the content of this episode is going to skew more in the sciences rather than the humanities. But lucky for me, I love science. Aspens have fascinatingly unique biological adaptations, and have become very important in global forest conservation. So sit back and relax while I tell you all about what makes the aspen one of my favorite trees. Unless I make mention of a specific aspen species, I am referring to aspens as the whole group, which is okay for me to do here because there are only six tree species worldwide that are referred to as aspens, and they're all relatively similar where I think it counts. I couldn't do that with the eastern white pine or the sugar maple because there's around 120 species of pine and over 160 species of maple. Let's talk about those six aspen species. In North America, there are two aspen species, the quaking aspen and the big tooth aspen. When most folks are thinking about an aspen tree, they're likely thinking about the quaking aspen. And if you think about where the quaking aspen grows, you'd probably think of Colorado, unless you live in another part of North America where aspens grow. After all, there is a town in Colorado named Aspen that is considered a world-class destination for winter sports. But you might be surprised to learn that the quaking aspen is the single most widespread tree in all of North America. This tree can be found throughout Alaska, most of Canada, the Midwest and the Northeast, all along the Rockies, even down into Mexico. That's every province and territory of Canada except for Nunavut, 40 out of the 50 U.S. states, and around 4 or 5 Mexican states. As impressive as this is, we need to save some love for the lesser-known Big Tooth Aspen. The Big Tooth Aspen is localized to just the Midwest, Northeast, and Southern Ontario and Quebec, so the northern two-thirds of the sugar maple's range. It distinguishes itself by having slightly larger leaves than its sibling, with the leaves also having larger and more defined teeth on the edges. And when I say teeth, I mean like teeth on a saw, not like the ones in your mouth. That'd be weird. Moving on to the other four species, starting with the common aspen, this tree gets its name because it's even more widespread than the quaking aspen. Its native range consists of just about all of Europe and stretches across northern Asia by means of Russia and China. And Russia is big. For clarity's sake, I will refer to this aspen as the Eurasian aspen. Finally, we have the Chinese aspen, which grows in southern China, the Korean aspen, which is found in northeast China and on the Korean peninsula, and the Japanese aspen, which is found in Japan. I, honestly, growing up in Oklahoma, used to think aspens were just a Colorado thing. But they really are just about everywhere in the northern hemisphere. Now let's talk about what these trees collectively look like, since their morphology, or physical structure, is all relatively similar enough. First off, you can tell it's an aspen because of the way it is. 
For my audience that is finding themselves out of the loop, that is a quote from a series of YouTube videos called Nature Walk, where a guy and his buddy walk around the woods and talk about nature things that they find neat. These videos were considered training material uh, when I was a seasonal ecologist. They're very funny. Go look them up. All jokes aside, though, this is actually what goes on in my head when I'm identifying a tree that I'm very familiar with, rather than always having to check the leaves or look for flowers or fruit. It's like recognizing a good friend among a crowd of people. You don't know it's them because of just their hair or their eyes or their skin tone. You take in all of their features at once, and you know it's them just because of the way they are. But I've gotten sidetracked. We're actually supposed to be talking about the parts of an aspen. Aspens don't get super tall, maybe 75 to 80 feet in old growth stands, but usually end up closer to 50 feet tall. The bark is very identifiable because it is very white. But is it actually white? And you'll say, of course it is, Thomas. I have eyes, and I can see that it's white. But that white layer is actually incredibly thin. So thin, in some cases, that it can be rubbed off with your thumb. Underneath lies a thicker layer of bark that is actually green. It's green because, like its leaves, it contains high amounts of the pigment known as chlorophyll. And, like leaves, this means that the bark can photosynthesize. So when the leaves drop and fall in winter, the tree can continue taking in nutrients from the sun with its bark. This can make aging aspen trees rather difficult because measuring tree rings is based on the assumption that a tree does most of its growing during the normal growing season. The study of tree rings is called dendrochronology, which is a super cool science with a super cool name that I will go more in depth on in a later episode. The flowers of the aspen are not very showy. They are called catkins and are greenish brown dangly bits similar to the sugar maple. They remind me of caterpillars hanging from the branches, if that helps your visualization. The fruits are actually rather similar, a chain of capsules that look like caterpillars hanging from the branches. From personal experience, this makes studying annual growth cycles of aspens somewhat challenging, as spent flowers look just like unopened fruits when they're high up in a mature tree. But when the fruits open up, they release many seeds that float on the wind with cottony wings. With this detail in mind, it shouldn't surprise you that aspens are related to cottonwoods, which are well known for covering yards, cars, and roads with their cottony seeds. Now, I've already mentioned how the big tooth aspen stands out with its leaf, but in general, aspen leaves are notoriously round like a coin and have little rounded teeth along the leaf's edge. But what really makes the leaves special is the structure called a petiole, that's the little leaf stem that connects the leaf to the branch. In most cases, petioles are rounded, so you can easily twirl the leaf between your thumb and forefinger. But the petioles of the aspen are flattened. What this means is that with a flat stem and a round leaf shape, each individual leaf will shake back and forth with just the slightest amounts of air currents. When this happens across a whole canopy, it looks like the tree is quivering or trembling. And this is where the two most common aspen trees get their scientific names. The quaking aspen and the Eurasian aspen are named Populus tremuloides and Populus tremula, both species names derived from the Latin for trembling. Now let's put that amazing feature alongside the fact that aspen leaves generally turn a vivid yellow color in the fall. And when an autumn breeze rolls through, 
The tree looks like it's covered in shimmering gold coins, dancing left and right as they catch the sun from different angles. Alright guys, so we've got a trunk that can photosynthesize and leaves that constantly shake and shiver. Surely, you say, there can't be any other mind-blowing physical features left to talk about. Well, you're wrong, because I have yet to talk about what's going on underground with the roots. Take out your ethics textbooks, because with their roots, aspens have the ability to clone themselves. Aspens will spread their roots out horizontally under the Earth's surface. In fact, most trees do, as opposed to down, which I tend to see as a more common belief. Anyway, as a result from certain environmental factors, the roots will decide to just sprout up a new stem wherever. This process is called cloning, or root suckering. So maybe you're hanging out around an aspen tree, and ten feet away is another aspen tree. Without being able to see the roots, can you tell whether this is a tree grown from an individual seed, or from the roots of the tree you're standing by? Cloning is a good name for this process, because cloned individuals share the exact same genetic makeup as its parent stem. So characteristics determined by genetics, like fall foliage shade and timing, can help tell separate individuals apart. Here's the question for all of you. These stems share the same root structure and are genetically the exact same. Would you consider a cloned stem a separate tree from its parent stem? Regardless of your definition of a tree, would you consider them the same organism? Does this cloned tree have the same rights as the original tree? Does it get its own tree social security number? No, I've gone too far, but it is a really interesting thought. Scientists generally say yes, any cloned stems count as the same individual organism as its parent stem. We put a lot of stock into the stem, defining the individual, and I definitely leaned on that when I defined a tree in episode 1. But in the case of the aspen, growing another stem is like growing another branch. It is strange, though, to possibly find yourself in a grove of aspens, or even a whole forest of aspens, and think that every stem is actually all one organism, one single tree even, depending on how you want to argue semantics. One aspen clonal group in south-central Utah has gained global notoriety as it has grown to encompass a hundred acres of land and is often classified as the largest living single organism by mass. This organism forest thing is called pando, which is Latin for I spread and can be found in Utah's Fish Lake National Forest. This may well be the oldest living organism as well, as some scientists have estimated it to be around 80,000 years old. This is a rough estimate, mind you, as age of a clonal group can only be measured by understanding the growth pattern of this phenomenon if the original stem isn't around. And though the original stem and stump are long, long dead and gone, scientists do think it is at least 10,000 years old. What I'm about to say will likely disappoint you, dear listener. I have yet to go and visit Pando. I even went on a road trip through southern Utah, and it would not have been out of my way to see it. But I didn't go. I have no excuses. Now, while you all get in line to purchase rotten tomatoes and cabbages to throw at me, I will finish off the Aspen's natural history by talking about its relatives. Aspens are not in their own genus, believe it or not. Unlike maples, which have acer to themselves, and pines, which have pinus to themselves. Aspens are in the populus genus, along with poplars and cottonwoods, as I mentioned earlier. 
This genus has multiple species I could cover in future episodes, including the white poplar of Eurasia, which makes multiple appearances in Greek mythology, and the balsam poplar of the American Northwest, which was the first tree to have its entire DNA code determined by gene sequencing. To add even more fanfare to the aspen, it is in Salicaceae, which is the willow family. This connects it to 400-some-odd other species of willow trees in the world, as well as hundreds more plant species that have been added to this family thanks to gene sequencing that started with the balsam poplar. I haven't even connected this magnificent tree to human culture yet. The aspen is a great example of a tree being amazing just because of the way it is. So when I discuss what roles trees play in human society, I have in the past and will continue to trend towards historic connections. Stories that connected us in the past and have since caused society and the environment to become intertwined. I'm going to use the aspen as an opportunity to introduce you to ways that scientists of today are researching trees and forests and what roles they may play for humans in the future within the context of conservation. I'd like to tell you about a review paper that was published in the scientific journal Global Ecology and Conservation back in March of 2020. This paper is called A Global View of Aspen, Conservation Science for Widespread Keystone Systems. And the link to this on ScienceDirect is available on this episode's page on my website, mftpodcast.com. You can give it a read-through if you'd like, but um, scientific papers tend to be long and not very interesting, So I'll sum up the important aspects that I've parsed out of it for you. For starters, it defines aspens as keystone species. A keystone species is a species that has a significant impact on the health or structure of an ecosystem, such that if the species were removed, it would dramatically alter the state of that ecosystem. Aspens serve as a keystone species because they largely promote biodiversity within an ecosystem. Why is biodiversity important? Each individual species, be it plant, animal, fungus, bacteria, serves a role in an ecosystem that directly or indirectly affects everything else living in it. People often think about the food chain in the wild, which is in fact more of a food web, and the various connections of predator versus prey or symbiosis versus competition are just one part of the greater web that makes up ecosystem roles, such as providing shelter or regulating nutrient and chemical compositions in soil, air, and water. The more strands you have in a web, the stronger it becomes. So if one strand breaks, there isn't a massive hole in the web. Now, how do aspens play such a disproportionately large role in biodiversity? The growth pattern for aspens is key for two reasons. They, like many other broadleaf species, are shade intolerant, meaning a closed-in forest is not the best place for them to grow. And they are very fast-growing compared to other shade intolerant species. As forests in certain climates age, they tend to progress from being dominated by broadleaf species to becoming more mixed with shade-tolerant conifers and ultimately being dominated by these conifers. Aspens are a species that tend to end up as the only broadleaf species left among an otherwise conifer-dominated forest. This is thanks to how fast-growing they are and how they take advantage of sunlight. 
even if a mature aspen were to fall in such a forest, it quickly re-sprouts from the stump and grows fast enough to restore its dominance before the canopy fills in over it. With this difference of species in a conifer forest, it provides a varied surface for epiphytes, mosses, lichens, etc. to grow, as well as structure for a variety of bird species to shelter, food for different woodland critters, and increased nutrient cycling for the air and soil. Even in areas that aren't strictly late-succession conifer forests, let's say sites that have been disturbed due to human involvement like agriculture or logging, aspens are great for revegetating those sites again because of how fast-growing they are and how they take advantage of the sunlight. Usually, the only reason we have to explain or defend why a tree is important is because it is threatened in some way. The aspen is no exception. Logging the aspen for wood products isn't necessarily a big problem. I know I usually talk about the wood products that each tree is used for making, but aspens don't really have good lumber qualities. They're pretty common in making matches and chopsticks and maybe wood for saunas, but that's about it. However, those conifer-dominant forests, especially in Asia, are logged for other valuable species, and the aspens end up as essentially bycatch in those scenarios. In Europe, the trees are being systematically removed because they can host a rust fungus that aggressively attacks and kills the valuable scotch pine. If this sounds familiar, it's because it's what the United States did with currant and gooseberry species that hosted the white pine rust here. Speaking of the U.S., we still need to get over the idea of fire suppression being a good fire management plan. It's not. I can't get into the entire depth of fire ecology in this episode, but in regards to the aspen, I'll harken back to how I explained root suckering. Roots will sprout new stems as a reaction to certain environmental factors. One of those biggest factors is fire. With suppression practices doing away with natural recurring fires, less and less clones sprout, and that is an important reproductive strategy for the aspen. None of the information I've pulled from this paper is groundbreaking research. This is a review paper, which is different from a research paper in that it collects and compiles information together under a common topic. This topic being the importance of aspen for forest conservation and what challenges we face in meeting certain ecological needs. Our world is changing in a lot of negative ways, and we need to figure out what positive changes we can make to fight back. In general, I just thought it'd be really neat to provide a glimpse into the world of tree science. And I realize this has been a lot of science. Probably a bit more than some of you would have asked for. So if you've made it this far, I'm going to finish this episode with a little treat. Some nice cultural stories about the Aspen. The first story comes from the Ute people, whose ancestral homeland was much of Utah and Colorado, as well as the surrounding areas. Long ago, the Great Spirit decided to pay a visit to Earth during a special full moon. Upon the Great Spirit's arrival, all the trees trembled in order to show respect. All the trees, except for the aspen tree, who was too proud and beautiful to pay proper respect. So it stood still. The Great Spirit was furious over this insult, and decreed that from then on, the aspen will tremble in respect for anyone that ever looked upon it. And that is why the aspen trembles. Celtic folklore around the British Isles also gave importance to the aspen tree. The aspen was considered a shield tree. Not only did they use the lightweight aspen wood to craft their shields, but they also considered the tree to have psychic protective powers. 
it was popular to plant aspens near households and also to bury one's treasure under. The Greeks, who called the tree Aspis after a type of shield, believed much the same, and wore the crowns of aspen boughs to shield themselves from evil or even make safe passage to the underworld. Various folklores, mythologies, and religions all connect the wind with sounds of the spirits, that of ancestors, fairies, or deities. Because the aspen will shake and rustle with the slightest movements of the wind, it is said that sitting still and patient under an aspen tree is the best method for hearing the whispers of these spirits. I love combining science and folklore. And maybe with enough focus on aspen's role in conservation, this tree may still serve as a shield of sorts for us. Regardless, the fact remains that the aspen will always be one of my favorite trees. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at Boomerang Brit. Find me on Twitter at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>